Great to have you with us. This is From the Braves Booth, and this is episode number 42 of our podcast. Alongside Joe Simpson and our producer engineer, Jonathan Chadwick, Ben Ingramir with you. And coming to you today from our home radio booth here in Atlanta, you just said episode 42, you couldn't believe it. I can't believe we've done that many they, already. They are, are, we going, already. are we going by twos? <laughs> yeah, feels like it. Golly. When was our first one? Maybe sometime last season? I think so. Two years, 21? Okay, J. Chad said 2021. Man. Man, oh man. Okay. It's fun, isn't it? It is. It is great. Uh, it's one of those things where, uh, and I think the fans would say the same thing, it's good that we do it periodically, usually once a homestand. If we were doing it more than that, it might get a little stale. Yeah. I don't know that we would have that much, uh, that many fresh things to talk about to keep it interesting, but uh uh, doing about one a homestand, I think, is good. Did you ever think you'd be doing a podcast? I did not know what they were until we started. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know how. I was asked, you know, will you be involved in this? And I said, sure. I didn't even know what it was. Yeah. Well, it's been pretty cool. And uh, I know, I know it's, a, it's an extra element of what we do. And, of course, folks can tune in every night. We bring up our listeners to the game. But this is a lot of fun, like you mentioned, every so often to do this and chat about what's going on. A lot's been going on. Uh, crazy road trip, and then a great start to this homestand. But we saw some big moments, and and we we this this past week or so has really been a reminder to me of exactly what the baseball season is, and how these guys are not robots, and how uh, you have to play the games. It's not played on paper. Not that you forget those things, but it's just a reminder because you go to Oakland, a team you think you'd mop the floor with, and drop two out of three. And then take on a first-place team in Arizona, take two out of three from them and get a, a huge grand slam to win it in dramatic fashion. And then you've come home and, and taken down the Mets in two ball games. So those are the swings, those are the ebbs and flows of a season, isn't it? It's crazy. Uh, I, I still contend that MLB's got to do something about Sunday night games. Yeah. If they want to continue doing that and ESPN is paying big bucks for it, okay. But allow the teams that have to travel uh in this case across the country to san francisco to play oakland for the braves got to have a day off you got to have a, a day off and certainly uh it was even crimped on uh the previous monday by them having to play at five o'clock so it was an earlier game i i don't know how the commissioner can continue to overlook this i know that it's not something that i know that it is something that uh, the Braves organization does not like wants to change, and the other side, I don't, I don't understand why the Players Association is going for it. Right. I, I don't, I don't get it. That was, uh, it's very unfair. I remember I had, we were in Oakland, <clears throat> lost the first two games, I believe it was, and I had a, a listener who tweeted at me and was, was basically saying he'd had enough of us talking about the the travel and how tired the team was and things like that. And the comment was, it must be so hard on those. Uh, on those charter airplanes and five-star hotels and the thing is the 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 planes are nice and the hotels are nice I don't, I don't care if you're staying at the Taj Mahal if you're playing on that short rest it's a real thing and the reason that Darren and I mentioned it two or three times because it's a tangible thing and our job is to tell our listeners what's going on and I could see what was going on I watched the team uh, really turned into zombies for about 24 to 48 hours. And, right. and I don't blame them because it was – nobody likes to sleep on an airplane. It would have been one thing if you fly out there and play maybe 7, 8 o'clock that next night. That would have been tough enough. But but 5 o'clock, um, didn't get to San Francisco till 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, their time, body clock, was 6 a.m. And that stuck with the team for a few days. And I could see that. And I could 
hear the conversations that were taking place and asking guys about that. And it was a real thing. So I'm right there with you. It was it was tough, and I think that showed on the field. I don't want to sit here and say I'm making excuses, but that was a real part of what was going on in that series. I'll, I'll call it an excuse, and it's a darn good one. And whoever sent you that tweet can bite me. They, they, <laughs> they obviously have never uh, had to – maybe they've flown from coast to coast as a tourist – Right or or gone to a meeting or something the next day. They didn't have to play a ball game. Right. They didn't have to stand in the box with some guy guy who was fresh, you know, humming ninety five at you. There's no there's no uh, answer for it. You you just got to show up. You got to play and do what the schedule says. And for anybody that does not understand that, it's because you've never had to do it. I think we have a new slogan for Braves Radio Network now. Braves Radio Network, bite me. <laughs> Can we get that put on the door, JJ? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's terrific. But, you, you know, people expect these guys to go out there because they're making millions and millions of dollars and be the best version of themselves at all times. And uh, anatomy is a real thing. The human nature is a real thing. When guys are are beaten down and they play a Sunday night game at home and a day game the next day, you're not going to be your best self. There was a kicker to this, too, Ben, that I pointed out to you guys when you were out there that both the A's and the Braves had a scheduled day off on Thursday. Right. So why wasn't that off day incorporated on Monday and then play right through Oakland and and Arizona? It would have made a huge difference, I believe, in the competition level, the fairness of competition, and might have been a different result on Tuesday right. with a day off Monday. Uh, and they had the day off in Phoenix, and you could see in the two games that they won in Phoenix that they started to bounce back, got used to things. Um, the offense started clicking a lot more, and it's good to see that. And they've taken that momentum and rolled right into yeah. this series, had an off day the other day before this series started, and it's been great to see. And, and it would have been great to see no matter who the opponent was, but it's even sweeter given that the opponent is the Mets, the team that you feel like is – uh, the top contender to try to dethrone you as the division champion five years in a row. So it's been wonderful to see that swing. You know, this rivalry um, with the Braves and the Mets has been very consistent and uh, animosity-filled, you know, jealousy-filled since I probably the late 90s when Chipper was just wearing them out. Um there have been some hiccups along the way with other teams like the Phillies. You mentioned that last night when the Phillies were on their roll and won a world championship, that rivalry uh, really got hot, hotly contested, became hotly contested, but I don't know if it ever usurped the Mets and this, uh, this thing that's going on and and enjoy it. I'm enjoying every minute of the first two games. There's, there is a certain level of venom Braves and Mets that you don't quite get. That's the word. Braves and Nats or Braves and Marlins or Braves and Phillies. Those Phillies teams are awesome. They had Mm -hmm. some good teams. You didn't like losing to them, but they had some good teams. The Nationals, um, they had some really good ball clubs, and they finally broke through, won a a World Series when they thought they'd win one several years prior. They finally got one. And this Mets team the last few years, they've got a really tough ball club. They won a ton of games last year. But there's something to that rivalry that's just a little bit more venomous to me. I don't know if that's because of the two fan bases. Let's be honest. The the people who are Braves fans and the people who are Mets fans are two very different groups of people. No doubt. Very different. They probably don't agree on a whole lot of things. 
Um, so they're certainly not going to agree on their baseball. But I think that adds to, and I love it, I think that adds to what this rivalry is. And, I, and, and when people start talking about biggest rivalries in baseball, and they start with the Yankees and the Red Sox, and I get that, and they go to the Giants and the Dodgers or the Cubs and the Cardinals, but with what I've seen, uh, to me, this rivalry should be right in there it, with all of those because how good it is and how, how venomous it is. I'm going to throw one more out there, and that not another team, the John Rocker incident. Yeah. When John Rocker was quoted uh, in Sports Illustrated saying the things he did about New York, and he was certainly entitled in his right to say whatever he felt. Uh, but when you go to, the, go to Shea Stadium like we did following that, and there is a police presence in the thousands, and there are snipers in the light towers. Wow. I mean, that that's unsettling. Um, and that was for the things that John had said and the fear that there was going to be something really ugly happen. Uh, I know it was um, uh, an individual, but it also came from a guy who plays for the Braves. Right. And that made it uh, – that just hyped it up even more. Yeah, definitely. It's um, There's lots of history there, so – uh, it, it really doesn't matter how old you are. If you're a, a young kid right now, you've experienced what this rivalry is right now. If you're in your 20s or 30s, when you were a kid, it was those days you're talking about and you're experiencing this now. If you're older than that, you remember what it was like in the 60s when the Mets came in. and uh, You remember the, the, those Braves teams in the late 60s and early 70s and the Mets winning the World Series in 69. So there have been really good chapters of this rivalry for multiple generations and I think lots of people whether you're a fan of the Mets or the Braves no matter your age you've experienced at least one or more uh, of those chapters of this rivalry and to me that's why it's my favorite rivalry I love beating all the teams in this division yeah um, it, it, it's certainly fun but to me when the National League East is at its best is when these two teams are the top contenders I love I, it I think it's awesome and those games when uh, Chipper won the MVP was just almost personally beating the Mets every night. Uh, that was, and they were really good. Mets are really good, and there weren't as many teams going to the postseason then. Made it harder on them then that we're a good team and we're not even in the postseason. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And almost single-handedly thanks to Chipper. So all of that's all that's fun. So we fast forward to 2023. Uh, I know there was probably a lot – People tried to make out of the uh, incident with Pete Alonso on Tuesday night, and then he gets hit by a pitch his first at bat last night. Uh, we know Charlie pretty well, and I think we all know that he didn't do that on purpose. No, he hits lots of batters, and he usually hits them with his curveball in the foot. Yes. He didn't hit them with fastballs up and in. No. So uh, that was unfortunate, and I don't know how the Mets took it or how they feel about it, but. Um, it's going to be a good game tonight. The mm-hmm. Mets Mets have lost five in a row. Uh, the Braves are really on a good roll. Two come from behind wins that are great to see. And what Michael Harris did last night, if he starts really getting hotter than a dancing bobcat, mm-hmm. then uh, this lineup is really going to go. Man, that's it, it, fun to think about because this team, top to bottom, going to hit the ball. They're going to hit home runs. For the most part, they'll score runs. But they've been leading the league in so many offensive categories, and Michael Harris really hadn't done anything until right. last night. No, nothing. Uh, I mean, and, and, and Marcelo Zuna didn't do anything until May. So mm-hmm. it just shows you the depth of the lineup. It, it is incredible. Uh, Travis Darno's playing tonight. Uh, Sean Murphy's been playing so well, swinging the bat so well. You know, Travis is getting a couple of starts a week. Uh, that's that's hard to believe. We never would have thought that yeah. would happen last year. But that's where we are right now. And uh, he'll be in there tonight. And I'll bet he does something to contribute. I bet he does too. And um, 
this team has, has continued to hit the ball well, even with some other guys that have gone cold. Now they're starting to heat up. Another thing this team has done is continue to win ball games with big injuries in the rotation. And I, I love what these guys have done stepping up. And it's like Snit told us the other day, when you lose guys, it doesn't matter how big they, they are. Uh, you hate losing Max Freed, you hate losing Kyle Wright, but it's an opportunity for somebody to step up and make it happen. And we've, we've seen that with Bryce Elder. Uh, Jared Schuster has looked better. We got to see A.J. smith Shaver out of the bullpen the other day, and he's likely going to make a start versus Washington. And uh, if you had told me for the season that you'd be down Freed and Wright, as those two guys combined for 35 wins last year right i said hey, you're gonna be doing good to be around 500 no no question I, I i it was funny uh tuesday night there was a national broadcast here tbs was in here and my old partner from tbs postseason days brian anderson was on play by play and he said uh if you looked at the braves what would you say is the biggest concern right now and i said uh, I don't think it's any question starting pitching. Yeah. And his eyes got big, and he goes, really? Because I think the perception outside of, of us, you know, and the people in Atlanta, they're not even aware of what kind of losses Wright and Freed are with respect to the rotation and how the Braves are trying to funnel some young guys up here that may not have been here otherwise until maybe midseason or late, maybe even early next year. Nobody really understands that uh, what big blows those two losses were. Yeah, and and the pressure it puts on the rest of the rotation because if you lose those two guys, Spencer and Charlie think they got to win every single time they go right. out there. Exactly. And if they lose, it's like, oh goodness, now what? You're going to hit a long stretch where you're losing consecutive games. You're missing your ace. You're missing your stopper. And if one of your other big names doesn't win, that's how losing streaks happen. But. Um, they've, they've stepped up. They've done a wonderful job, and the bullpen here in the last week or so has been significantly more consistent. And that's a big part of their success as well. If I had a criticism uh, over the way this has all been handled uh, with the injuries, it was that they they had to use three. They had to use a bullpen game three times in nine games. Yeah. Um, that put a real hardship on the bullpen. It scrambled it like like mixing up dominoes because everybody had to chip in we didn't have uh, people keep saying well you know the the tampa bay rays were able to do this a few years ago almost nightly or you know like in the rotation one every five days well yeah maybe so but they would start a guy who would pitch an inning then they'd bring in a guy who'd pitch five innings right the Braves didn't have that luxury and the only way you could get around it was to bring up some of these young guys and throw them in there and let the bullpen hopefully kind of fill the void if they are only able to go four or five innings. But in the process, when you do that, you're hopefully gaining some experience for those young guys so that they get better next time out. That's right. You can do bullpen game here and there. That's It's going to happen here and there across 162-game season. But when you're doing that regularly, you're not only losing that night's game. That, that can cost you multiple games over a span of time. Horrible ripple effect. Yeah. It really does. And to do it three times in nine games uh, was, I think, costly. I think it, it set them back a little bit. Um, they had a lead that was eight or nine games. It got down to three or four. But I think now that's the, the waters have calmed. Yes. You know, uh, some of the young guys have gotten a, an extra start or two, and they've started feeling better about themselves Bryce Elder has been a godsend where that's concerned. And then the bullpen has begun to get back into its spots, I'll call them, 
and Snit can rotate some guys so that they're not having to work on back-to-back days and get them the rest they need so it's all showing up in the results. That's right. And it just shows you the importance of starting pitching. Even if your starter is just giving you five, just covering those innings every single night and your bullpen covering four rather than covering nine three mm-hmm. times in however long the period was. Yeah. Huge difference there. Um, and, and Schuster stepped up. You don't have to go out there and, and have a two-and-a-half ERA. Give your team an opportunity to win. And for those guys who are at AAA and getting that chance to come up, that's all you're hoping for. Give me five, maybe pitch into the sixth inning, give me an opportunity to win, and we'll figure it out from there. You know, you think back the last couple of years, uh, there have been times where uh, the Braves maybe wanted to push a starter back. And we'd see Kyle Muller. Right. You know, or we'd see Bryce Elder. They'd come up, they'd make a start, they'd go back. So it's not something that was foreign to the way the Braves operated. It's just that uh, this year there was a bigger hardship because there were two guys missing. Yeah, that's right. Uh, what do you think about A.J. Smith-Shawver getting an opportunity coming up? I think it's great. I don't know a whole lot about him. You guys got to see him in Arizona, and I wasn't there. Uh, I'm anxious to see him. All the reports I've gotten on him from the Braves minor leagues have been outstanding. He moved very quickly. He does not have a ton of experience in terms of professional starts. He doesn't even have that much experience as a pitcher. Right. You know, when you go back to high school um, – but what a what an athlete, what a talent. Turned down a chance to go to Texas Tech and basically be their starting quarterback right? Um, to sign with the Braves, and the Braves had to step up. You know, he was a seventh-round pick, and they had to give him some big bucks to turn down that scholarship. It's exciting to think about. I mean, thinking about a 20-year-old out there who has 29 professional appearances in the, all together. That's not just yeah. the big leagues. That's in the minor leagues I can't, as well. I can't wait to see him out there. I can't either. That's exciting stuff. I know it's exciting for him and his family. Um, let's see. You know, Eddie Rosario has been hot here lately. That's been great to see. We mentioned Michael Harris last night. And, and I want to go to something that you mentioned last night. You, you said early on, tonight could be the night. And baseball is like that because you don't expect a guy who is – three for his last whatever it was to go out there and have the breakout game versus Max Scherzer but the game works like that sometimes doesn't it it does and and that's why I said it it just doesn't make sense so then then it becomes logical right you know when it does when it makes the least amount of sense in baseball then all of a sudden oh yeah well it that's logical he has a three-hit game in a game that Max Scherzer's pitching and gets a single and a double off of him so I don't know you just kind of feel like um Maybe when there's a time when you're in a slump, uh, and let's let's face it, he was in slump jail. Yeah. Um, you can break out of jail when you least expect it because you real nobody's expecting you to. It's that old flip flop thing. What? Well, yeah. Well, I'm not supposed to get any hits tonight, so I'm going to get three. Yeah. I'm going to get four. Uh, I'm not supposed to hit this guy, so I'm going to wear him out. Well, that's kind of what happened, and that was what was in my mindset when I said that. I love that he mentioned what Marcelo Zuna told him last night. Where And sometimes you need that positive reinforcement. Uh, you know what you accomplished last season, but it's nice to hear other people say that. And Ozuna told him last night, you're the best center fielder, not just the best center fielder out here on this field, you're the best center fielder in Major League Baseball. Don't forget who you are. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure that is very impactful for uh, a guy who's in his second year in the big leagues. And the thing that I've loved about Michael is defensively he never hit a slump. No. Um, when he put the ball in play, his his hustle never took a slump. Right. So he was still doing all the right things. And, and it was great to see last night because you go back to a ball game that he had in Arizona he did something he'd never done in his career he had four balls put in play 
with exit velocities 94 or harder. He had never had that many in a game. He had one hit that night. It was a single. But that's how this game goes sometimes. You'll have a night like that, and then you'll turn around a few days later, and maybe you don't think much about that game in Arizona, but who's to say that that wasn't the first domino to fall to get him to where he was last night and have that big game. Also turned in a humongous defensive catch in straightaway center field and hitting that home run uh, when he hit it, tie ball game, bottom of the eighth inning, uh, one of the best nights of his career. Absolutely. And we come to expect to play in center field when he makes it. We're, we get uh, thrilled by it. Uh, but then we're also kind of jaded in that, yeah, we've seen him do that before. Well, you know what? It's still a tough play. What we've been missing uh, that I saw last night, what I've been missing is Michael Harris on the bases. When he went around to second base on that ball, he hooked to right field. Marte's a good outfielder. He gloved it, made a throw, made a good throw. But Michael was racing around first and made it into second for a double. Then with two out, crack of the bat to left field he takes off on the crack of the bat Tommy Pham is a good outfielder too has a decent arm and he's also very proud he doesn't want anybody scoring on him he didn't even make a throw Michael was flying around third base it was amazing how fast he was running and to score on a base hit to left field there for that big run emphasized to me that's another aspect of his game we haven't seen. Right. He hadn't been on base. Yeah. But that's what he can do and how he can disrupt, too. And if, if I'm another team and I'm facing the Braves and I see that, I'm like, oh, no. This guy's going now? Yeah. we right. got to worry about him, too? Yeah. Let's, yeah, talk, it's, let's it's talk, awesome. about, let's talk about Ronald a little bit before we go to questions. Um, I want to reassert what I said last night about him, uh, and it's my opinion that Ronald Acuna is the best position player in baseball right now. He is doing everything at such a high level. Uh, Hitting, we know. Stealing bases, we know. He's getting on base. He's playing defense. Made an incredible catch himself last night. That was at a time where they were going to get at least two and maybe three runs if he doesn't catch that ball, and they only got one. So I I just want uh, to say about the way he's playing that He's never played better, and it's unrivaled in my opinion right now. And you can throw out a lot of, of good names. Uh, Shoei Otani, I mean, he's incredible. Freddie Freeman yeah. is tearing it up right now. But nobody's doing everything in an all-around way like Ronald anywhere in baseball. And for, what are we, game 61 tonight, 62, uh-huh. something Six, like that? 62. He's been doing it consistently the entire season. Yes. Not just a flash here and there where, oh, wow, look what Ronald did. He's done it every night to the point that when, I don't care if you're in Atlanta or if we're playing somewhere else. When he comes up to the plate, you stop what you're doing. Mm-hmm. If you're watching on TV, if you're listening on the radio, you stop to cast your eyes or your ears to the broadcast or the telecast. If you're in the ballpark, you're in the concession stand, and you hear his name announced, you're stopping and turning around to see what he does. That's the kind of player that he is right now, and that's what we knew that he could be, and he's been that. He was, he was that for a stretch in 2021 prior to the injury. But like you said, he's at a level now that he's never been at before to where it's can't miss baseball when he's when he comes up to the plate. He's he's that guy that people talk about proverbially. Uh, I pay to watch him play. Definitely, he's he's that kind of guy. Yeah, isn't it awesome? We get to watch him every night. It's so fun, so cool. Yeah, we have a bunch of questions to get to, and our email address is bravesbooth at gmail dot com. Bravesbooth at gmail dot com. Jonathan Chadwick, come on down. 
It's it's time for your prices right moment. Yeah, he's about to jump into the into the hot seat, answer some of these questions with us. Um, I guess we should start off with the most pressing question that I see on the list from Stephen. How do you order your eggs? <laughs> scrambled. Over All, medium for me. Always scrambled, Jonathan? Yeah. Never fried? Mm, scrambled. Mm. Mix in an omelet once in a while? Big omelet guy. Yeah. What do you put in your omelet? I'm a Western omelet guy. Are you? Yeah. Okay. Ham, peppers, onions. All right. I'm uh, I'm over medium, but I like scrambled eggs and diced ham and okay. ch- and cheese mixed together. You can get that Waffle House served up real nice. Very good job of it over there. Yeah, I'll go over medium because I believe that egg yolk is kind of like nature's gravy. I like uh-uh. putting it on different things. Mm-hmm. So pretty okay. good. Yeah. All right, I, we got that covered. Yep. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Uh, let's see here. Let's find a good one. Um, hello, Ben, Joe, and Jay Chat. I love the episodes and think they should be mandatory each week. On to the question. I'm curious if Ben and Joe have ever called a game on radio from a different location in the stadium. If not, would you be open to calling a game from the Chop House or possibly the Home Depot Clubhouse? Thanks for the great calls all season. That's from Seth. Joe, you've definitely broadcasted from a different place, haven't you? Yeah, at uh, Turner Field, Skip and I did a couple of games from the Chop House, and it was miserable. Uh, for this reason, we couldn't see. Yeah, you know, it was an afternoon game, like a three or four o'clock start, so the sun is kind of low over home plate, and we couldn't see a lick. And we had a monitor, thankfully, from the TV people, but there was such a glare on that. We we had shades on, we had our hands up to our caps, and we would just watch. We'd see the pitcher wind up, and then we'd watch the see what the players did. Novelty kind of wore off quickly, didn't it? It did. It did. It was very, very difficult for us. Yeah, I bet it was. Well, there's a reason we have the perch up here in the press box. Give us Mm -hmm. the best angle possible. But we've got a great engineer who could set us up, you know. No. No. (laughs) No. Look. Just checking. (laughs) When you do things like that, it's. I guess it's cool maybe for the fans, but you're making an already hard job that much harder to be able to do that and to accommodate that and – you know, setting stuff up for one game with a variety of things that could possibly go wrong, in my opinion, is just not worth it. Well, especially for radio. I think for TV, maybe you get a visual that you wouldn't get on radio, but for sure. us, mm-hmm. um, uh, whatever they, whatever you guys want to broadcast, I'll, I'll go I with asked, I like it up here. I was asked one time, would we consider doing a game from somewhere else in the stadium? And I'm absolutely not. Okay. Um. There's a collaboration tonight on on TV that does not include a play-by-play man. So uh, Brandon Gordon is not involved. It's going to be Chipper, Francoeur, Glavin, and Smoltz and John Smoltz. Those four guys. God, good luck getting a word in around Smoltz. <laughs> um, it, the question from Andrea of Marietta is. If you could have anyone joining you on the radio side from that group, who would it be? I'm going to go with Chipper because I think he's bringing drinks. Yeah, good point. We would be hydrated. We would. Jonathan, you got a preference? I've worked with Glavin before. I've worked with Jeff before. I've never worked with John or Chipper. I think I think all of them would be fine, honestly. They'd probably all yeah. do a really nice job. Yeah. We could just build another... Uh, riser back here and well, bring, I mean, they bring, all, them, bring them all in they all hang out here 
before the game Coming anyway. Up with a group therapy do you think, sessions. Do you think people know that? Have we told people that that this is like the uh, therapy room? It's worth mentioning again yeah. if we haven't. You know, there's always been a funny thing about uh, uh, psychologists, psychiatrists, whatever, having a rubber room. This is the rubber room. This is where they come in and bounce off the walls, complain, um, whine, sometimes cry about their plight right. in the TV booth. So <laughs> We're broadcasters for nine innings, but before the game, we're, we're hearing all the complaints it of everybody. It was unbelievable the other day. Jeff was in here. Glavin was in here. Brandon was in here. Keith Hernandez was in here from the Mets. Yep. Ron Darling was in here from the Mets. Yep. And Ryan Anderson. Mm-hmm. See, it's not just our TV guys. It's it's even broadcasters from other teams. Yeah. Everyone comes in here. They come in for counseling. Right. <laughs> advice. That's right. The doctor is in. That's right. This is the spot. Yeah. Um, here's a question about our booth. It says, hey, fellas, was at the game last night and was a few sections over from you, over from you guys, and I noticed that I could see into what looked like the national broadcast booth over Joe's right shoulder. Is that a clear partition or is it open? Thanks, Parker. It would be funny if it were open because Joe would probably have punched a few people through the partition or through the uh, the opening a few times. But no, it's a it's a plate of glass there between Joe and the next booth. I definitely would have unplugged some wires or something. Yeah. <laughs> I've got one here, and it goes back to your uh, tweet that you told us about earlier, Ben. Uh, this is more civil. Uh, it's from Brady Abbott who is very complimentary about the podcast and about our broadcast. We thank you for that, Brady, and we thank you for listening. His question centers around the travel aspect. Since you all fly so much with the team on road trips, I'm sure you have seen or experienced some interesting things from the air. Do any of you have any scary or interesting stories on one of your many charter flights flown during your careers? And with all the frequent flyer miles, I'm curious if any particular flight stands out for any of you can't remember anything scary i know we've seen some planes pass by semi-close in the mm-hmm. air i mean nothing mm-hmm. i would think within a thousand feet or so but, but first off i want to go back to what you guys were talking about earlier the guy that tweeted you yeah the I told, bite me guy yeah and he, and he can bite me too good <laughs> i told joe um <laughs> i've been dreading that trip for two months to go to oakland thinking about the five-hour flight we didn't take off from Atlanta till 12.45 a.m. By the time I got in bed, it was 7 a.m. Eastern time. and was an Uber in an Uber five or six hours later to go to the ballpark. It was a real thing, and I don't care how comfortable the, the, the plane is and the, how nice the hotel is. It is a real thing, mm-hmm. and uh, it's, it's not easy to do. All right, I'll get off my soapbox now. Back to um, – <laughs> adventures from the air Mm -hmm. i remember a flight i want to say it was in 2019 maybe i was sitting next to paul bird and we were going to new york and i remember seeing a plane i mean what looked like was 20 feet to the right side of our (laughs) plane just zooming by and you know paul saw it and so did i and we both just jumped that's funny yeah you see that and they look a whole lot closer yeah than they probably really are but when that that smoke trail is right in your face it's kind of, yeah. kind of unsettling when you, when you can read the airline name on yeah. the plane that's yeah. happened before i love seeing things from the air i love recognizing things from the air um especially when we fly out west you'll see all sorts of different things i remember there's a 
Um, there was a giant crater that we flew over in either New Mexico or Arizona. Mm-hmm. And Darren O'Day pointed out and said, look, that's Max Fried's landing spot because he, he <laughs> takes such a crater in the mound. But we looked it up, and it was a, a, a place where a, a meteor had landed, mm-hmm. you know, however many years back. Yeah. It was huge. It was like a mile and a half wide. Yeah, it's out in Arizona, I think. Yeah, but yeah. I love seeing things that you recognize from the air. When I get bored on the plane, I'll always pull up FlightAware um, on my phone. And I'll track our flight and I'm playing and see where we're at. And sometimes, oh, you know, look out the window, we're over whatever city it happens to be. And I especially like that at night, seeing yeah. the lights laid out for some of the bigger cities. And you think um, sometimes you see those lights, you think, gosh, I thought uh, Amarillo was bigger than that. Sure. You know, because there's not that many lights on at two in the morning. Um, I had two unsettling events, one with the Braves back in like 93 where we are on the uh, taxiway and the cabin of the charter filled with smoke oh man uh something happened in the galley in the back of the plane and it started in the back and the smoke worked its way forward and our good friend corliss flight attendant uh she had to be taken to the hospital smoke inhalation no way yeah but we all had to exit the plane. We had They pulled the plane over to the side. They opened up the inflatable exit ramps, and everybody moved to the front to get off. You had to slide down. Uh, I was getting off behind Skip, and they told you, you know, to kind of jump out of the door and land on your bottom and then slide <laughs> down. Well, Skip didn't slide. He landed, but he didn't slide, and it created like an atomic wedgie. <laughs> And the firemen started laughing because they're trying to help you. And if you can picture Skip just one cheek at a time going down the the slide. Left, right, left, right, it left, was right. An, it was an emergency, but I'm laughing my butt off at this. And it, it all worked out okay. They got us another plane, and nobody was hurt except for Corliss, thank goodness. Oh, the, other, the other part of it was, you know, orderly fashion. That went out the window with David Justice. He looked like Ronaldo Nehemiah, the, the Olympic hurdler. Yeah. He was going over seats one leg at a time, <laughs> flying not in the aisle, over the seats. He was getting off the plane, and he did. Panic mode. Oh. And then the other one, a long time ago, um, the Dodgers had their own plane. They had their own private pilot, Luke Carlisle, and he was tremendous. And there was – we were on approach one night at LAX real late, and I mean, you can see the runway, you know the gear's down, and then all of a sudden he gunned it, and we took off, and we kept going. We never hit, we never touched ground, and everybody asked later what happened. You know, we did a plane get in the way or something, and he goes, no, it just didn't feel right, and I wanted to go back and do it again. Really? Yeah. You have to appreciate that. Yeah, you do. Wow. So there you go. Those are my two. Those are good ones. Um, dear J. Chad, Ben, and Joe, guys, glad to have another season of From the Braves booth to listen to. I appreciate you taking the time to host this show for the fans. My question is for my son, who is a rising ninth grader and interested in sports journalism and or slash sports media. What degree programs and or universities would you recommend for an aspiring sports broadcaster? Thanks again. That's from Lee Kemp. Lee, if, if, I, I would do some uh, exploring there. Any place he can go where he can get uh, on-the-air experience, uh, whether they have a, an on-campus radio station or um, some kind of an affiliated uh, network with, with TV or, or radio stations in the area, that would be a good place to start. 
Um, for a ninth grader, I would have him get on the air as much as he could. And what I mean by that is not necessarily on the air, but record himself. Uh, get used to his voice on the air. Have Mute the TV and, and re- open a recorder and hit record and have him call the game. Um, do things on YouTube. You could start a podcast. Lots of things you could do just to get familiar with uh, the repetitions of getting on the air and meet other people in the industry. Meet people who are doing the same thing or somebody local in your hometown is calling high school games or college games and uh, have him shadow them. That's a, a great place to start just so they can kind of get indoctrinated with what's going on and, and learn about the industry, learn about how other people do it, and um, kind of take it from there. That'd be my best advice for a ninth grader. That's sound advice. Good stuff. What do you got, JC? Uh, here's a question from Sandra. You guys are so much fun. I love that y'all laugh a lot. Is chemistry in the booth work, or does it just come natural? Oh, it's just easy, Sandra. Uh, that's what's so fun about uh, our crew here, and that we all get along. We all have, I think, a good sense of humor, and we can uh, take as well as we receive or, or uh, what's the word? Um, as much as we give out, we can also take a joke. So we can get on each other without hurting anybody's feelings. Uh, and that's what makes it fun. It, it makes you fun to come to the ballpark every day, and we enjoy each other's company, and it probably starts there. Yeah, I think that's a good point because if you're having a lot of fun off the air, you're definitely going to have a lot of fun on the air, Yeah, especially when the team's winning. But even if they weren't, I mean, we have a great time together. Um, when we travel together, it's fun. Uh, TV side, those guys are great guys as well. We all enjoy interacting with each other, and I think that spills out on the air, and I think that's the idea. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of these guys that have filled in in your absence for a lot of these road games this year are really starting to get comfortable because I'm even taking grief from those guys when they were with us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they've been listening then, obviously. They have. Um uh, I'm not even going to go there and talk about the TV side. but So I'm going to go to uh, Brad, and this, this question is for you guys. Uh, it sounded like uh, when Eddie hit his grand slam in Arizona, it looked like a ton of Braves fans out there. In what city on the road do you feel like the Braves received the most support? That's from Brad. Arizona and Denver are usually really good. There's a lot of them. Miami's, west, yeah. Miami's an easy flight from Atlanta. Their fans don't show up, so ours do. Um, Houston always has been. Yeah. This year when we were in San Diego, there was a ton of Braves fans. Kansas City as well. Yeah. That same trip, it was crazy. Braves yeah, fans travel. It's, to me, it's the TBS effect, and it's it's mm-hmm. been there for generations. So you had a whole generation of people who are J-Chad my age grow up with that and seeing that who live – 2,000 miles away from here, and they, they've been Braves fans ever since and go to games. You know, what we would find is that there were fans who weren't anywhere near a major league team, fans from Wyoming or Utah or anywhere out west or in the north, and they would flock to wherever we were. They would plan a trip to Denver or, the uh, in the, this case, you just, just mentioned San Diego. Uh, if we were playing interleague play to Minnesota, whatever the case was, they would plan around that and have the schedule so that they could go because they were just huge Braves fans in the hinterlands. You guys remember Seattle? We have a bunch in Seattle last year. I was trying to remember. I feel like there's a decent yeah, amount. Yeah, I do. We were on the third baseline. Yeah. The, the dugout was, and there were a bunch of guys up behind them. Yeah. A, a lot of those 
a lot of those stadiums out west, it's about the same. But to me, Arizona, there's a ton. I went walking around the concourse one day, and you couldn't find a Diamondback fan. There's Braves fans I everywhere. I remember seeing that last year as well, walking to get something to eat before the game. The concourses were just flooded. How about when we went fans? to the mall with Pete? Yeah. There were people in Braves gear. We went to the mall one day. We were grabbing a coffee, and there were people in Braves gear, I mean, maybe a dozen or so folks that we saw at the mall. Half of them stopped Pete for a photograph which was great. But uh, when when they're all over the local mall, we're not even talking about the ballpark. Yeah. Know, they're everywhere. Um, after tonight's game, there will be 100 games left in the regular season. Is that a milestone for you guys or to even think about things like that? That is from Chris. Chris, we absolutely do. I, I, and you know, I don't know if the play, how, how the players view it. I know they have certain milestones, but we definitely do. And I think once you get under 100 games, this is a milestone that Jay Chad and I have talked about for years. Once you're down to under 100 left, that's a pretty big milestone, isn't it? It's a very, very big milestone. It's a long season. It's a grind. You know, you, you brought this up earlier this afternoon, Ben, when we were looking through some of these questions. This is game 62 of the regular season, but for you and me, this is game 92. Yeah, yeah. You know, because we did 30 at spring training. So, um, sure, it's absolutely a milestone, no doubt about it. A, a mental milestone, if nothing else. Yeah. That, that you know you're getting close to – well, you're getting it down under 100 games, number one, but you're getting close to the 50 uh, – percent mark yeah and that is a big thing when it starts feeling like you're going downhill it's two things for me um number one it's like you said the, the psychological aspect of getting under 100 number two you have a really good idea now of what your team is and what other teams are on yeah. major league baseball I, I think you've seen a, a large enough sample size that you have an idea who's who's good who could be good who might fall off and i think the biggest milestones for me psychologically getting under 100 getting to the all-star break, getting to the trade deadline, getting to Labor Day. Those are my four big milestones where when we pass those thresholds, it's like, okay, now it's that next season of the season in my mind, um, and you kind of focus on what's coming up next. That stretch. Got one here from Chase, and it's a good one. How difficult is it for a guy like Travis Darno to basically be in a backup role when he's still capable of being an everyday guy? I think we touched on that a minute ago that he's only catching maybe twice a week because right. Murphy's doing such a good job. Uh, I, I would say this about Travis, just an ultra-professional guy. He's a class act. He's also very smart. He can see what's going on, and he's going to be ready whenever Brian puts him in the lineup, in, just like tonight. Like I said, he'll do something to contribute to a win, uh, because he's that type of guy and that type of player. It doesn't mean he's second string. It just means he's uh, another catcher that we have that's just as good as the other guy. Right. And and like he had that uh, big base hit and a pinch hit roll, uh, the last homestand, I believe it was. Um, oh, off a guy throwing 100 miles yeah, an hour. Yeah, against yeah. the Phillies. He's not going to have a problem coming off the bench late in the ball game either. Maybe he only gets one or two starts here and there. Um, as it is right now, but even if they use him as a pinch hitter, he's not going to struggle in those moments. He comes through big and can, he can still turn around a fastball. Yeah, and, and it's it's not his ideal scenario, but remember he was in the concussion protocol too, so he missed some time. That set him back a little bit, but uh, again, it doesn't affect his readiness. He's going to be ready to go. He missed a month. We're yeah. so lucky to have the catching situation that we have here. Mm-hmm. You know, with two guys that are good enough to play every single day. And I remember Travis saying at some point when the Braves acquired Sean Murphy, 
that Alex Anthopoulos reached out to Travis to ask him his thoughts on it. And Travis said, if it makes us better, go get him. Yeah. He gets it. Definitely does. Speaking of Alex from Keith, how aggressive do you see Alex being at the trade deadline? And what areas do you think he'll address for a run at another title? Well, I think by then, and, and you know how things can change over the course of a season whatever your needs are now they might not be your needs come the trade deadline you could have needs then that you don't have now there's no way to know how it's going to play out um your hope is obviously for health from now until then and if you're addressing what the team is right now if you could add another reliever cool if you could add another starter cool i think that's where you'd step um as as the team goes with position players i could go with not doing anything unless there's somebody out there that you feel like hey we can get this guy and that'll lengthen us in this position but i i feel like you're looking towards the mound whether it be in the rotation or the bullpen i agree with you uh i can see some change or an improvement position player wise but you'd have to deal one of our guys that's already playing for that person that you feel like is an upgrade over what we have uh I think that would be the only position player. Yeah. This side of one of those guys getting injured between now and then. Let's hope not. Yeah. We'll we'll see what happens. But remember, too, Max Freed is eligible to come back before the trade deadline. Whether he does or not, we'll see. But we could we could see him in the second half of the season. He could be a huge yeah. help. Right. Well, think about the, the big example, 2021 and the trade deadline then. Um, you go out and you completely retool your outfield. We didn't know on June the 8th that they're going to need for the outfield to be completely retooled. You, you, you might have said, hey, we can trade. We need probably go get, need to get an outfielder, but you didn't know you're going to need the haul that you ended up getting because you had not lost Ronald yet and things like that. So um, we'll see what those needs are once we get there. And remember, we got Eddie Rosario, and he was hurt. Yeah. Remember, he, he played he, until mid-August. Yeah, he didn't play for the Braves for a two three weeks because of i think a hamstring or maybe an oblique i don't remember now but uh everybody knew what he was capable of doing and the braves took a chance on that and uh kung fu panda went in the deal to yeah the, to the indians so that that was a good swap right there yeah man that was fun Soler and rosario and jock was something um, hey, love the podcast. Do you guys collect memorabilia? If you do, what's your favorite piece in your collection? What's the most expensive piece in your collection? Thanks. I'll hang up and listen. That's from Jimmy G in Oakwood, Georgia. I guess we all have certain things we like to collect here and there. I don't know that we're huge memorabilia guys, but if you see something cool, you like it, grab it. Joe played. I'm sure he has things from his playing days uh, left over, but I don't have a ton of stuff. I think I have one autograph ball in my house. And it was from 2010, Bobby Cox's last season. And Mark Lemke and I used to do the Bobby Cox report every day when the team was at home that season. And uh, the last day of the regular season, um, unbeknownst to me, Bobby had signed the ball that said, you know, Jonathan, it's been great doing our shows, Bobby Cox. And I have that, and I cherish that. That's really about the only, I guess you would say, piece of memorabilia that I have. I have um, a baseball that was signed by – 1957 New York Yankees. Nice. That was given to me when I was a little kid. It was a friend of a friend whose brother played for the Yankees, Tom Sturdivant at the time. And, you know, isn't that weird how that chain occurred to get to a guy and he had heard a thousand times in his life, yeah, there's a there's a big there's a kid in New York, in Oklahoma who's a big Yankees fan. Could you get a ball signed for him? Yeah. Well, they did. And I always stuck with me when I was playing that 
if somebody asked me to get a ball signed by the team, I'd do everything I could to do that because I didn't know where it was going, but I knew what mine meant to me. And I also have a ball signed by Mickey that was given to me also. So That's th- awesome. Those are my two big things that aren't uh, more personal. I think the only thing I have, I, I, I like collecting um, Hall of Fame signatures on baseballs, and I think I've got a case with maybe uh, 20 individual balls. Wow, that's cool. With some Hall of Famers on there. Uh, I mean, all of our guys with Maddox and Glavin and Smoltz, Don, I've got um, I've got Bob Gibson, I've got Nolan Ryan, I've got George Brett, uh, I've got Johnny Bench. Um, yeah, it's probably about 20 or so, so that's some great, good ones. That's a great thing. As much as we are around those guys in different cities, that's that's a nice one to start and yeah. keep up. And and it's it's another element of that is not if I saw one that you could buy, I don't want to do that. I want the actual right, guy to right. sign it for me. Not the same. Right. Um, I, I got one. Well, I think my favorite one. We go to Cooperstown in 2014 to cover the uh, the induction for for uh, Maddox and Bobby and uh, Glav and. I went to they have I have autograph sessions all over town and I was looking up one of the oldest guys I uh, was interested in getting their autographs just because you never know how much longer they'll be around and I went to get Ernie Banks's autograph and we're in line and rather than him just signing the ball and handing it back and moving along he's having individual conversations for about 30 to 40 seconds with each person and we chatted he asked me what I do I told him and he and he called time out basically on the autograph line and we chatted for about 60 seconds about radio and the braves and who i know etc oh that's cool and on the ball he wrote to ben aim high ernie banks and i I love that extra message on there i thought that was really cool and uh, he passed away about i think maybe a year and a half two years later and just consistent with the type of class act he was yeah yeah very nice uh, here's one from a fan in Cranberry Township, Pennsylvania, Patrick Lister. And it's about the battery and, and traveling to Atlanta. We talked about fans from the from other Braves all over the place. Love the nightly coverage and the podcast. I'm a lifelong Braves fan from Pennsylvania, and I'll be making my first trip to Truist Park in September. That's great, Patrick. What recommendation, recommendations can you make to get the most out of my trip any recommendations on seats, places to eat, things to check out in the stadium or the battery? Open to suggestions. Well, what's at the top of your guys' list on that? I love Goldberg's. I'm a big fan of that place. And um, I like if you want to dress it up a little bit, the Cielets, mm-hmm. Um they've, they've got a good steak, and they got a really nice bar and things like that. And those are a couple of my favorites in the battery. What's the Tex-Mex? Super Rica? Yeah, yeah. Super pretty Rica. good. Um, Yard I, House, Santico. I don't know that you could – go wrong in any place in in the battery they're all good i just stopped today at let me get the bag (laughs) because you got to say it right italiano e-a-t aliano okay italiano outstanding you know i hadn't eaten there before but i i grabbed lunch there today and it's outstanding so you can hit any of the spots uh, Patrick to eat and you you can't go wrong uh, the sport and social bar the nightlife after the game is just yeah, off the jumping. charts in the weekends uh, really nuts uh, around the ballpark there is so much to do go go down make sure you take a tour if you get a chance take a tour of the stadium and see everything that 
this place has to offer because some you're going to miss some stuff if you don't. Patrick, I don't know if you're single or not, but if you are sporting social after the game, you'll be grinning yeah. ear to ear. <laughs> if you're not single, you probably ought to stay out of there. But. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. Ben, Jay, Chad, and Joe love the work you'll do on the air and on the podcast. What specifically would you all say is the most challenging part of calling baseball games? Darren, Nick, Moylan, Kelly, et cetera, have done a great job this year. Just wondering what some of the initial hurdles are when jumping in the booth and calling a game. Thanks for everything you do and keep up, keep up the good work. That's from Kyle in Brandon, Mississippi. Give me a shout-out. says, proud Mississippi College grad. Go Choctaws, Kyle. Um, good question. I, I think there's – it depends on what your role is in the booth and, and what the most challenging part of what I do versus what you do, Joe, versus what Jay Chad does, probably a little bit different and – um, I'd love to hear what the most challenging part of J-Chad's uh, yeah. gig is. Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, at this point, um, I don't know. I'm just such a routine guy. I do the same thing every day, get here at the same time. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't know that there really is a very challenging part. I'd say maybe on the road, working in a – different environment and having to set everything up to make sure it works and all that is always a little um maybe causes a little anxiety till you get it done sure um a couple things for me joe i don't know about you number one you know we, we interview the manager every single day and some days you show up and you're wondering what am i going to ask him today yeah <laughs> and you're trying to invent things that that might be interesting to hear about uh, that's one thing. I think the biggest challenge for anybody doing play-by-play, um, you know, you're, you're not going to have this happen every single night, but you're going to have big moments. You're going to have big games, things like that, and it is your duty to match what's happening on the field and what's happening in the stadium with your call. Uh, you want to match the energy. You want to match the moment with the call that you bring, and, and you can't say it the same way every single night you can't be generic you got to find a way to be creative you got to say it differently you've got to uh, make it entertaining this is play by play it's baseball but it's also a form of show business and it, it's our job to entertain listeners and hopefully tell them things that they didn't know about and that's what's fun about our job we get to research and talk to players and things like that and bring that to the air every single night but i think for doing 162 games that that's to me why baseball is the hardest sport to broadcast compared to basketball and football and i've done them all and they're all, they're a lot of fun but i think the everyday nature of this makes it so challenging maybe that's the biggest challenge of it all that's probably um a good point you bring up just the everyday nature and not really many breaks in the schedule and that goes back to our bite me guy you know it's it's not a once it's not a once a week game. It's not the NFL where you're doing one game a week and you you travel to the site and do it. You're doing it. You're turning it around every night, right? With a few off days mixed in. Uh, in terms of the new guys and all that he mentioned and how good a job they're doing, um, if there's any coaching that we the three of us do for some of these guys who have never done a game before, uh, it is basically be yourself. And I try to encourage them to be aggressive to the mic, meaning don't let don't make Ben turn it into a nine inning interview. So, Jack, uh, what did you do in this situation? Those types of things. It, it, it's hard for the play by play guy when he's constantly got to try to include his partner, who's not aggressive to the mic. And these guys, I think, have caught on to that uh, real quickly. 
their their personalities are coming through and that's what we were hoping to encourage all along if there's a difficulty for a new person doing it i think the most difficult is getting used to knowing when you can be aggressive to the mic yeah you know when when to get out you know when a pitch is about to be made so that ben can make the call you got to stop talking you know in mid-sentence sometimes right and let the pitch come through and then pick it up later um but i think all those guys are doing a really good job on that given their lack of experience yeah, and you just don't get the feel of this overnight or even over a few weeks i mean mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the guys who are really good at this, and, and Joe, you're right there at the top of the list. You've been doing it for a long time. And you, it, it becomes second nature, the feel and the timing uh, and your cadence. You don't have to think about it. It just happens. Right. And uh, that's a big part of it for sure. That and, just takes time. Yeah, and getting used to your partner. I, I, I know when you're about to talk, even if you don't. <laughs> like a married couple. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's your least favorite city to visit? That's from Adam. Um, Don't eat in Florida. I don't know. No, I don't know. Um, mine's New York. Yeah, that makes sense. But, but I've got a close second that I'm going to have to go to. You guys have already been there. Unfortunately, San Francisco. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. one of the great cities in America has become one of the cesspools of America. Unfortunately, it's treacherous. It's horrible. It's seen unbelievable some, what's happened to that seen place. Some nasty stuff. The yeah. Last two times we've been out there, and arguably. Uh, the top one, two, or three ballparks in America. Definitely. Where Major League Baseball is in San Francisco, and you have to deal with everything else around it to just to get there. you got to watch your step more on the sidewalks in San Francisco than you do walking in a pasture. Yeah. You don't know what you're going to step in. No, that's exactly. going to be good. People don't – People, I tell people that, and they, they scoff thinking it uh, – I like that word, scoff. They, they think you're making it up, Yeah. and we're not. No. You see some – some piles laying around here and there. What'd you guys do on your off day in Phoenix? That's from Ed. Well, kind of a shame to <laughs> well, say. Well, I'll go ahead and go first. <laughs> uh, I played golf and, and played well. I yeah, understand. I did. I played really well. I was rolling the rock. That away, good. Draining the putts. Um, and we we had two nights in Phoenix where we went to dinner. Uh, both fantastic dinners. Yeah. What'd I you was, do, Ben? Uh, I was pretty wiped out. And I noticed that there was a uh, a massage and spa there at the uh, resort. Oh. And I said, you know what I'm going to do today? And that's what I did. I got a workout, oh. got a run-in. Then I went over there and got uh, got up there early enough, went to the the steam room and sauna, and then got the massage and all that stuff. I felt like a million bucks, That is man. a great call yeah. on an off And then we day. went to dinner that night. Yeah. And crushed. Yeah. Great idea. So that was, uh, that was pretty much it. This is uh, I got one one more here from Don Whitmire in Waynesville, North Carolina. When an umpire goes to the mound to break up a conference between the pitcher and the pitching coach or manager, does the team have to comply, or can the conversation go on as long as needed? The answer is no. It's got to break up. Yeah, it, and I'm, I guess that's kind of a in the mind of the umpire. I don't know that he's. In, in other words, I don't think he's counting to a specific, uh, specific number yeah. and then walking out there. But well, Pete, Pete, Peter Moylan just came in, uh, and Peter could answer that question better than we can. Have you been, ever been out there where it got a little testy? Have I? Really? <laughs> um, from, from my interpretation, I think as long as the manager and the umpire are having a conversation, 
it can stay out there as long as possible. But as the manager, sorry, as the umpire starts to walk back to home plate, that can become the time when it start, should break up. Mm -hmm. If the manager keeps it going, then it could lead to an ejection. That would lead to more time, obviously. So it could all be a ploy. We've we, we've seen trips to the mound, uh, certainly by Bobby, uh, where he was waiting for the umpire to get exactly. out there. That was the reason for the, yeah. the trip yeah. to the mound. Yeah, So that he could talk to him in front of his players too, yeah. probably, just to let him know exactly what the, everybody was, was, was thinking at the time. Mm-hmm. Right. What's the funniest thing you ever heard in a in a mound meeting? Oh man. Most of the time when I'm I was having a meeting, there wasn't a time to be funny. So um <laughs> it was <laughs> funny for the other team. Funny for everyone else, yeah. It's usually, hey, you haven't done your job, so get out of here. Uh but there was one time where I created a funny scene where I, I hugged for some reason I hugged Ned Yost when he came to get me out of a game in Toronto. And there's a photo of it. I'll show you guys. There's a photo of me hugging Ned. It must have been my final game in Toronto or something. I really don't understand what was going on. But you know me. I just... It's like goodbye, huh? I don't really think through a lot of my actions or my words. Yeah. We had a, we had a guy on our team in Seattle named Dave Heverlow. Dave was a reliever. Big guy. One of the first bald guys you ever saw in baseball. And a real crack up. But he was playing for the Oakland A's at the time. And he told us this story. Billy Martin is the manager. Billy always had Art Fowler as his pitching coach, no matter where Billy went. So Heverlow's pitching, and here comes Art Fowler out. And Dave wasn't sure what was going on. He said, I, th I thought I was pitching pretty well. And he said, Art, what's, what's wrong? He goes, I don't know, buddy, but you're pissing Billy off, so change whatever you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Great wisdom from a pitching guy yeah, there. Turned around and went back. That uh, I told you that story. We were in St. Louis earlier this year. I told you that Tim McCarver story. I don't know if you remember yes, this. Yes, Gibson. Bob, Bob, uh -huh. Bob Gibson. And uh, McCarver's behind the plate catching Gibson, and he decides to go out there to the mound. And Bob said, what are you doing out here? The only thing that you know – he said, you don't know anything about – uh, fastballs, and you certainly don't know how to hit it, or something like that. <laughs> like get get back behind the plate. Uh, but I, I love stuff like that. And those sometimes the the, the perfect pitching coach will deliver the perfect joke uh, at the right time. One hundred percent. Don had a great story, Sutton, about Red Adams, who was a a card himself, just a wonderful man, pitching coach for the Dodgers. And Don was having a rough time, so his uh, nerves were frayed, his uh, temper was about to go off, and Red came out there and. He says, uh, says to Red, what do you want? And Red said, how's your, how's your fastball? And he says, it's good. How's your curveball? It's good. How's your changeup? It's good. <laughs> and Red said, well, then how about getting some of that crap over and turn around and walked off? <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you one more before we shut it down that, that Don told me. He said that Red Adams walked out one time and he said, son, do you cheat? And Don said, no. And he's like, you ought to think about doing it. <laughs> Went back to the dugout. I did hear that. I've told you the uh, the Derek Lowe story where, I don't know if it was a pitching coach. I think it was Roger McDowell walked out and he said, hey, man, what do you want to do? And Derek Lowe said, can we punt? He's given up six runs. Can we just punt? <laughs> Excellent. I love that kind of stuff. Mm. Well, we're out of time, and um, as always, we appreciate you all being out there. Thanks so much for those of you who sent us the questions, and uh, you can do that anytime, bravesbooth at gmail.com, and maybe your question or comment will be read on our next episode, which will be 
Episode number 43. That'll be coming up. 43. 43. Can you Jesse believe it? They haven't fired us by now. Yeah. That's amazing. We'll be going for a sweep tonight. Hope that you tune in, Braves, and the Mets tonight. Till then, for Pete, for Jay Chad, for Joe, I'm Ben. This has been From the Braves Booth.